Um, before I start reading, I just like, I felt the Lord lay on my heart uh, something to encourage us over this festive season to invite people uh, to newcomers to church. And I know it's very much what in Hewu's heart to get more people uh, in this church um, to know and love God. And I want to bring it, the reason I bring it up is because um, we've talked a little bit about this morning about the Lord's second coming and uh, the fact that we all wish and hope for him to come. Um, but in my previous church, my pastor prayed every morning that he didn't come. And uh, the reason why was because he wanted one more. And he wanted one more to come because he knew that if the Lord came, that's it. So I just encourage us that uh, we bring someone to the Lord over this Christmas period. Right, that's the emotion over. Um, I'm reading from the book of Peter. It's 1 Peter. It's at the end of the Bible. And it's uh, chapter 3. And uh, it's verse 8 to 22. Um, And it's about suffering for doing good. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessings, because this is you and you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and for his ears are attentive to their prayers. For the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you and your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, sorry, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins for once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body and made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels authorities, and power in the submission to him. 
This is the word of the Lord. This is the final uh, part of our First Peter series, um, and we'll go into the Advent um, series uh, next week. Um, but as we pray, I mean, as we come to this text, let's uh, pray that God will speak to us and shape us. Lord, we once again give you great praise and thanks for your word. We thank you that through these words, you have created the heavens and the earth, and uh, we thank you that uh, this morning you will speak to us. You, your words will shape our minds and shape our hearts uh, to love you more and to know you deeper. And then we might go out and shine your light and declare your praises. In Jesus' name, amen. The world is groaning in pain, and you just need to turn on the TV or just skim through the head, headlines of newspapers to know that. But most of the suffering that the world goes through, most of the suffering that we go through actually aren't unique to Christian. It is something that everybody goes through. And what we've been learning in First Peter is actually that there is suffering that is unique to Christians only. I mean, once again, that verse that E.J. read, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of your doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. That call to live such a holy and good life that is set apart is for the Christian only. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. And, and throughout this uh, series, I hope it's been clear that actually uh, we are following Christ's example to suffer for the sake of others, to actually do good in, the, in this fallen world, to submit to the fallen authorities, um, submitting to um, our bosses and, 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 and non-Christian friends and family and spouses. And that's all unique to the Christian What the message is, is here, we're chosen for others. We're not just chosen for us to enjoy the the goodness of God, but we're chosen so that others might, through us, uh, might know God, know know Christ. And if we're following Christ's steps, we ought to also sacrifice and suffer for others. But as he ends this section on suffering in chapter 3, It seems like a while back, but Peter ends this whole section on suffering and reminds us that we're not alone in this, that we are a family of God together. So the first verse, in verse 8 of this final section, is directed towards the Christian family and how we ought to live together. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be, be compassionate and humble. It's like that uh, section in chapter 1, end of chapter 1, where Peter reminded us that we're all born again as a family of God together, as brothers and sisters, born of the imperishable seed that will last forever. We are a family that will last forever. And he reminds us yet again that we are a family together, that we are a witness together to the rest of the world. And we know how important it is to be a witness to the watching world. Many non-Christians come through this door every week. Over this Christmas season, you'll invite your friends and, and, and family who are not Christian. Many of you maybe are here today who this is maybe your first time um, coming to church. And they will judge, well, you will judge whether Christ is worth believing, whether Christianity is true by the way that we behave, by the way that we treat each other. And so as he ends this section, he reminds us how we are to be a community together. 
So he says, be like-minded. Is there unity of mind, literally, together here? It doesn't, of course, that mean that Christians agree on everything. But it's worth asking, are we feeding on God's word together? Are we feeding on the same truth together? There's no such chance of unity unless we crave the spiritual milk of, of God's word. Are we sympathetic and compassionate? Do we feel each other's joy and sadness together? Or are we just a bunch of individuals doing our own thing, coming together on Sundays? And one of the ways I think that you might ask this question is, whether, who, who's on your prayer list? What do you pray for each day when you pray? You know, is Micah in your prayer list? The sick members, people who are having a tough time in their jobs, in their marriage, are they on your prayer list? Are you compassionate? Are you sympathetic? And we're once again called to love. Is that what our church, Shatin Church, is known for? Not the kind of love that says, I will love only those people who are lovable, but the kind of love that says, I will love the people who are not lovable, people that are hard to love. And also, is there evidence of sacrifice, right? That agape love, that Christian love that God gives us is one that entails sacrifice. Is there sacrifice of my time and energy and money in loving others? And finally, Peter calls, to, calls us to be humble, a humble uh, community. True humility isn't just thinking less, isn't thinking less of ourselves. Uh, falsely, thanks, uh, saying to ourselves, we're actually not um, that good uh, in our ability or in the character uh, than the reality is. True humility is recognition that really our worth is rooted and grounded in Christ's valuing of us, what Christ thinks of us. And knowing that all our gifts and talents come from Christ anyway. That's true humility. Is there that kind of humility in this church? Is that how we look at one another? The watching world doesn't just see us as individuals, but sees us as a church together. So Peter reminds us, we are a chosen people. We are a chosen group together one that is to be set apart as God's family, to be a witness to the watching world. But of course, we live in this world as amongst fallen people in this fallen world. And the prevailing wisdom of the world is watch out for yourself. Watch out for the number one. Because if you don't, if you don't no one will do it for you. And, you know, that's... Um, <laughs> Uh, that's uh, uh, easy to forget in the Christian community, but when we go out to be a witness, this is actually the reality in the world. You know, when somebody wrongs you, the prevailing wisdom is you hit them back. When somebody uh, slanders you, 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 you talk back. If somebody tells a lie, then you tell a lie back. And even when a favor is done, oftentimes the favor is done for the selfish reason. You do a favor, for in return, uh, for the expectation that you get a favor back in the future. Even doing favors for others, sometimes it's selfish. That's the prevailing wisdom. And if they don't do you the favors, in the end, well, you cut that relationship off because they're no use for you. Then take a look at how radical Jesus' command must have been. Turn the other cheek, forgive uh, forgive your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. Peter is saying... 
Peter says living in this world will mean a lot of trouble and suffering precisely for this reason. So he goes on to say, verse 9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, with blessing, because to this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. And this is where Christian suffering is distinctive. When we suffer first of the living in this evil world, there will be evil done to you. But as Christians, we not only suffer that suffering, we suffer by not repaying it back, not hitting back, but actually turning around and blessing that person, praying for that person, to try to do good to the person who has harmed you. We keep doing good when there is no reason, no earthly reason, no worldly reason to do good to our authorities, to the bosses, to our spouses, to our friends and family. Uh, a couple of weeks back, I told you about the seven-year-old uh, Ruby who prayed for those who were hurling insults at her as she entered into the integrated school in Louisiana. And that, there are just, I think, so many remarkable stories like this in Christianity because we are people who seek to live like Christ. And I'm going to tell you another one. This one is of a Korean pastor, Pastor Son, uh, Son Yangwon. It was uh, 1948 in Suncheon near uh, the 38th parallel. A band of communists had taken uh, control of the town and had executed Pastor Son's two sons. They died as martyrs calling on the name of Jesus. And, and when the communists were driven out, uh, Che Son, uh, 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 a young man of that village, was identified uh, as one of the pe- uh, people who killed the two sons. And his execution was ordered. And Pastor Son went and requested that the charges be dropped, that these that young men be adopted as his son. And the authorities didn't want to do that. It was until actually his daughter, Rachel, the 13-year-old sister of the, 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 the son who died, came and testified and said this is what she wanted as well. The authorities relented. And the man was given over to Pastor Son and became the son of the pastor. And when goodness that surpasses reason happens, the world asks, how are you doing this? How can you live like that? And that's what we are to do as Christians. We are to live such good lives We are to live in such a way that people ask, how can you live like this? How can you suffer in this remarkable way? And Peter's been giving you many different answers throughout this letter, um, and he gives you a few more. Why and how we can go on to do good. And he uh, gives us a first reason from quoting Psalm 34 in verse 10. He uh, starts in verse 10, um, whoever would love life and see a good days, but uh, go on, but see at the end how that, uh, that section in chapter, um, in, in Psalm 34, uh, how he ends in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. How can we do, how can we continue to do good in this evil world? 
We can only do that if we know that God is with us, that God is on our side. And that's what that says. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayers. Yesterday, many of you came to hear Kenneth Bay speak. And if you came to speak, uh, if you came to hear, you heard exactly how God had answered his prayers, how God's ears were attentive to his prayers. Even the food that he wanted. He was so hungry and he was craving different kinds of food and God answered his prayers by giving him those food that he wanted, he was praying for. Eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. At Psalm 34, at the rest of it, doesn't say that there will be absence of trouble for the believers. The psalmist says, uh, what the psalmist says is that God is with the righteous, that God's ears are inclined to their prayers, that God is with them and will deliver them, whether in this life or when he comes back. God is with us and he is on our side. It's hard to be a Christian, be distinctive in your workplace, in your family. But you need to know that God is in your side, on your side. You need to know that God is attentive to your prayers as you seek to live a good life out in this world. And Peter offers another reason to keep going here in verse 14. This time quoting from Isaiah chapter 8 verse 12. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. We're often afraid, and it keeps us from doing good, fear of getting fired, fear uh, that, of what this city might be becoming, fear of being with the spouse that does not love Jesus, fear of losing uh, jobs, fear of our financial future. But Peter reminds us that actually we should not fear the earthly things, loss of earthly things. We should not fear the, the earthly people and authorities, that we have only one person to fear. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 8, in the next verse, it says that you should fear Lord Almighty only. But actually, in our verse, right, he fills up that, he fills the next line by writing, but in your hearts, revere, set apart, set apart Christ as Lord. What he's saying is that Jesus is your Lord, that ultimately, you only, are, you only answer to one boss, one authority, that in your heart, you should set apart Christ as Lord and listen to him only. And when we fear God only, when we fear Christ only, it becomes very apparent to the world that our hope is not here on this earth either, that our hope is in Christ Our hope is in God who will come and restore all things. Can you imagine what it would be like if you didn't fear anyone or anything in this world and feared Christ only? How radical your life would become. How differently we would live if we feared Christ and him only. People would start asking why. People would start asking how can you live like that? And I think that's why Peter follows this up by saying, always, in verse 15, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. When you know that God is with you, when you have set Christ 
apart in your heart as Lord and you fear him only, you will live differently and people will start asking questions. How can you live like this? Why do you go to church so much? Why do you, why do you go to church so much? Why is your hope in the church and what you do here? Why do you spend so much time praying when to them it seems useless? How can you not be so concerned about which school that your children go to? Why do you seem not to care about the next promotion that you might be getting? How can you give so much money to charities? How can you keep on being good to your husband when he seems so harsh to you? How can you forgive that person? How can you forgive uh, this person? Have you been asked of these questions? I know many of you have. Because you are living for the Lord and you are hoping, your hope is in the Lord. And we should, when people ask, we should be able to give an answer back. You know, I know many of us mumble through these answers when people ask, why do you go to church so much? Why do you give so much? How can you do, uh, live your life in this way? And we have mumbled through these answers, and that's fine. And, you know, uh, their salvation doesn't depend on the clarity of your answer, but you know, it is worth preparing, it is worth thinking about, because that is the reason for our salvation, isn't it? The reason why we keep doing good it is so that we could declare God's praise. It, it, we do all the things that we do so that the watching world who don't yet know him might hear the gospel and come to know him. So are you prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have? Of course, fearing Christ only actually might make you aloof and not caring. And so Peter says, no, 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 don't do that. Peter warns against that by saying that we ought to give these answers with quiet uh, gentleness and respect. But as we do this, as we live our lives distinctly, as we give our answers, uh, we all do this. um, We're doing nothing more than following Christ and his example. And as he reminds us once again in verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness, uh, for, uh, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in Christ. That's what Christ did for us and that's what we do. And there's great comfort in knowing that Christ suffered and he knows what we go through, that he led the path forward. But if you look at this passage, In verse 18, the emphasis actually isn't on how much Christ suffered and how he knows our suffering. The emphasis is on the resurrection, that he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit, that he is alive, that he didn't stay dead, but God raised him up. And we have uh, uh, verse 19 and on, some of the most difficult passage uh, in the Bible, um, and I'm going to give you um, a, a sort of disclaimer um, uh, that I don't really know exactly what the next few verses mean. Um, and this is uh, words of Martin Luther. Uh, a wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty what, just, what Peter means. And I'm going to just say the same. I think this is a wonderful passage, but I'm not exactly sure what this means. 
After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirit, to those who were dis- disobedient to, uh, long ago. Well, who are these imprisoned spirits? And how long ago is long ago? How did he preach to these people? What was actually proclaimed when he did that? There are a few views, uh, three main views, and some think that Christ uh, went to hell to preach the second chance for people who are not uh, yet repentant to hear the gospel yet again and to give them a second chance. And I think as Bible-trusting Christians, we need to rule this one out because Hebrews 9.27 um, talks about how we only live once, we die once, and there's only one chance that we're each given. It doesn't seem to make sense of the rest of the Bible. There's no second chance after our death. Our death. Some, like Augustine, believe that Christ, in his spirit, went in the time of Noah and through Noah, so not in himself, he didn't appear, but through Noah preached repentance uh, to the world, to those who were about to perish in the flood. Of course, they didn't listen, and the imprisoned spirits are spirits who are now imprisoned. And I don't think this quite makes sense either for many different reasons. The third option, which is the one that I tentatively take, is the one that these imprisoned spirits are these sort of enigmatic, angelic creatures in Genesis 6, Uh, perhaps those who produced Nephilim and etc. And there seems to imply that there have been these angels who were judged at the time or before the time of the flood and now are held in prison. So Peter writes in the second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. You see, he, Peter, Peter talks about these angels that were, that, that were sent to hell, to this dark place. Um, and uh, he said, I mean, but we know that the, not all angels are judged yet. Satan isn't judged yet. But it seems to say, he seems to say there have been some of these creatures who have been judged and put away. But then he also writes, he goes on to write, if he did not spare the angel world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. He then mentions Noah. And it seems to me that if you look at in chapter, uh, 2 Peter 2, that these things are in chronological order, that this happened before, uh, the judgment of angels happened before, and then the Noah uh, preaching. And if you take this view, what Jesus did is this. Jesus went to proclaim victory over these spirits. The lordship of Christ. Basically, that Jesus is the Lord over all has been proclaimed, not here just on earth, but even in the depth of hell where people are held, where, where these spirits are held. In the darkest place, Jesus was proclaimed as the victor. And that would make sense of why Peter ends this whole section with verses 21 and 22. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That Jesus has authority over all things, even in the depth of hell, he is proclaimed as the victor. But whichever view you take, and many smart people take the second view, um, as, uh, and, and uh, 
but whichever you, view you take, you should, we should all arrive at this conclusion. Christ is risen, and Christ is victorious. All authorities in heaven and on earth, even in the de- de- depth of hell, we should not fear because they are in subjection to him, to Christ who has risen. And Noah feared God in that wicked time, and he was wait, uh, faithful to him in that time of unprecedented wickedness. Genesis 6, verse 5 says, Every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil all the time. And yet, he remained faithful, and he kept going. He feared God and ate were saved. And what Peter is saying is that you now live in this wicked world. You now live in this world where you will suffer, but keep going. Be faithful like Noah was. Even if you face persecution and suffering, Christ is risen. Fear him because he is your Lord. And just as Noah was saved through water, he says, we are as well in verse 20. Of course, it's not the water that saves us. I mean, it's not the removing of dirt. He says it's the pledge of conscience towards God, verse 21. 21. I think what he means is that these, the pledge that you make when you're baptized to live for God, that's what saves you. Actually, that's not even the thing that saves you. As you make that pledge, as you repent and turn to Christ, what he's saying is uh, that you are united with Christ. What baptism symbolizes, what that water symbolizes, is, is what saves you. Your death with Christ, but then also your resurrection with Christ. It's the resurrection that saves you. It's the risen Lord that saves you. It saves you by or through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to end um, now this, uh, not, not just the sermon, but this whole um, sermon series by reminding us once again that this world is filled with people who are good only to those who are good to them. It's filled with people who retaliate a punch with another punch, a slander with a slander, lie with a lie. We are not those people. We have been called, we have been chosen, we have been saved, and we have been washed And we're called to live distinctly as Christians. And we are called to distinctly to live, uh, to suffer as Christians. To love those who persecute us. To be good when there is no worldly reason to be good. We are to be a witness of God's goodness as a community and as individuals. Christ is our example. But as Peter ends this section, I'm going to end this section as well. It's not that just that Christ is our example of suffering. Christ is our Lord. His victory is declared in the depth of hell. And he now sits at the right hand of God. And every angel's authorities and the powers are in submission to him. And he is our Lord. And he is with us. And he is attentive to our prayers. And as we are faithful to him, if we are united with him in his suffering, we will also rise again with him when he comes back. 
So hope in the Lord. Live good lives. And be ready to declare God's goodness in your workplace, in your family, to your friends, to this watching world that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for sending your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope of the resurrection. We thank you for the inheritance that is stored in for us, guarded in heaven for us. We thank you that you are with us, that you hear our prayers. And in this, in this Advent season, as we go out, help us to be your witnesses. Help us to declare your glory. Help us to do that in action and in words, that people around us might come to know you and the hope that we have in you as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.